The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 to 15. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 3,000 litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 1,500. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? 30 tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 24. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jonathan. A few months ago, I said to uh, Jonathan G um, that it was quite amusing that he would seem to be giving me all the Luke passages that everyone knew really well. Um, and that was challenging because everyone knows them. So he said, okay. <laughs> and he gave me this passage. It's really hard, isn't it? Uh, let's pray. I think we need it this morning. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you that as we go through this series looking at uh, the gospel according to Luke, that we can't miss anything out. 
um, and that includes the challenging passages. So we ask, Lord, that as we look at your word this morning, that you'd help us to see what you are saying to us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I sort of said hello anyway, but I thought I'd say uh, good morning again. Um, it's, it's a challenging passage. Um, and I don't know whether, how you're feeling having just heard that read. Um, we read it as a staff team on Monday and we were all sat there thinking, help? Because it's actually a really challenging passage. It seems to, it appears to say some quite difficult things. You know, it sounds almost like Jesus is saying it's okay to be dishonest. Don't worry, that's not what he is saying. It's probably the most tricky parable to, to understand. So if you're confused, really don't worry. Um, I really hope that by the end of our time this morning, looking at this passage, that, that we'll be less confused by it and that God will actually hopefully help us to understand a bit more. Personally, I found it really helpful to spend time this week going through this passage. That is one of the, the, the privileges of preaching in some ways, that we, we get to sort of delve in to passages. And of course, as I prayed there, going through this Gospel of Luke um, means we don't miss out the difficult passages. That's really important. It's so easy to miss them out. But God speaks through those just as much as the rest. A reminder, of course, that this is a parable. The first half of this passage is a parable that Jesus tells. It's a story with a meaning. So it's not like a moral teaching. It's not saying this is how you must act. And of course, it's important for us, as always, to acknowledge the context of this passage. We read at the very start of this passage that Jesus is speaking to his disciples. But we heard um, beautifully uh, read there by Jonathan that uh, the Pharisees are there. If you look at verse 14, it says this, the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this. They knew, they were still there listening in. And of course, this passage comes straight after the parables of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And if you think we've lost those in the series, see what I did there? Uh, we're looking at those next week, because originally we were hoping to have baptisms next week, but unfortunately, uh, those who are interested in bapt being baptised can't do next week. So um, we sort of swapped it round so that we could have those on Baptism Sunday, um, which is why we're looking at this today. We haven't forgotten those parables. But this is a different type of parable from uh, those in Luke 15. Jesus tells different types of parables. He tells ones about the nature of the kingdom of God. He tells ones about sort of the upside down values of the kingdom of God. And then he tells parables like this one, a crisis parable. A crisis which means a decision is needed. And we see that, of course, here um, with this manager. So what I want to do this morning is, is spend the first half thinking about what on earth this parable is saying, so we can sort of decipher it a bit, and then to think about, thankfully, what Jesus says about it, so we can see how Jesus interprets this story. In this parable, we have uh, two characters. We have the master and we have the manager. So first of all, let's have a think about the master. What we find in the master is that, that it appears that he's quite a rich man. You know, we can see that by the amount of money that he's owed by those who are his debtors. And we also know that in Luke's gospel especially, Jesus isn't particularly favorable to those who are wealthy. 
Just uh, hear these words from Luke 6. Um, He says this, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. He tells story about, stories about rich men, and later on in this very chapter, we will hear um, the story of the uh, rich uh, man. But this parable isn't really about the master, apart from the fact that he has discovered that his manager has been acting dishonestly, whatever that might be, probably cooking the books or something like that. So as he's found out, he tells his manager that he's going to fire him. And then he asks him to get the management accounts ready. And then we don't really hear from the master until the very end of the parable. What about the other character in in this passage then? Well, the other character is the manager. Now, it's likely that the manager would have been um, either a slave or a freed man. And it's probably the second of those because he's able to be fired and, and move on. And as such, in the management role that he was given, he would have been given access to his master's wealth. He'd have acted as sort of as an agent for his master's business. And for him, status would have been really important. The status that he would have gained in this position would have been high. Status, um, as we can look throughout Luke's gospel, would have been a really important thing. So the thought of him losing his job would have meant him losing that social status, losing how people would have seen him. And the outcome wouldn't just be losing his job, it would be losing his home as well. He would need to work, hence that comment about digging and begging. And of course, both manual labor, so digging and and begging, would have been seen as really very much the lowest of the low, would have almost been seen as unclean. It's interesting because it makes me think of the prodigal son, finding himself homeless, looking after the pigs and so on. Remember, that is just before this reading. And so that is what is facing this manager. The master's accused him of wasting his possessions. And I love this. The the word that Jesus uses for wasting here is the same word used for the prodigal son when he squanders his wealth. Have a look at um, Luke 15, verse 13. We should have it um, on the screen there. It says this, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. It's the same word there um, for wasting. And so this manager finds himself in a crisis, hence a crisis parable. Um, it's a bit like the rich fool who finds himself at a crisis when he decides to, has, he has to build a bigger barn to fit all of the, the grain and so on in. And so because it's a crisis, he needs to do something. What does he do? Well, he sees a way to help himself. He realizes that if he goes around all his master's debtors, they could maybe win favor with them. His most immediate need is going to be accommodation. So maybe one of them could take him in. Oh, and actually, that could lead to a job, couldn't it? So that's what he does. Whilst he's got time to get the the management accounts sorted, you know, he's not been fired yet. He's got to get these management accounts sorted first. He speaks to these debtors one by one. And you you will have heard in that uh, passage there the amount of debt 
that was owed there. Um, I think in, in the version that we had on, on the screen, it was slightly different from mine, but mine says 900 gallons of olive oil and 1,000 bushels of wheat. Um, I live near a field and I know that a thousand bushels of wheat, not, quite, not that I'm quite sure what a bushel is, if I'm honest, um, um, is a huge amount of wheat. And that's a lot of oil, isn't it? I mean, that's far more than you'd need on a daily cooking thing. You know, his master must have been really quite rich um, um, and wealthy. Um, and, and that suggests also that these debtors would have had quite a bit in order to have such large debts as well. It's also been suggested uh, that the master may have uh, charged interest on what was owed. This would have been illegal, you know, we weren't allowed to do that. But it was known to happen, especially when the um, commodities like oil and wheat were involved. But whether that is the case or not, what is really clear is that the manager reduces the debt by a lot. And because at this point, I love this, because at this point the manager's still working for the master, these decisions are legally binding. He's made that happen. So what has happened is that the manager has sort of made himself their benefactor, someone they would accept then to reciprocate in some way. He's done them a huge favour. They would be really very grateful for what he's done. So what we see is that the manager has acted shrewdly. He's made the most of his status to arrange his future. He's done what is needed to get on the good side of others. And so in some ways we could see and say that the manager has realised the value of relationships over money. He's realised that he needs to go to these debtors. So that's a little bit about the parable. And the final verse of this parable is verse 8. And Jesus says these words. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. A couple of things to notice here. Firstly, Jesus describes the manager as dishonest. That's really key because it shows just how Jesus views the manager and it answers, uh, partly answers that question about whether Jesus is commending dishonesty here. He's not, because later in the passage, he makes that really clear. Interestingly, actually, if, if the master did charge interest, then he would have had to say something similar, unless he wanted to be found out. So he's sort of, if that was the case, he's sort of been led into a position where he has to say that. But if we look, the master doesn't commend the dishonesty either. He commends his shrewdness. The man's still fired. <laughs> he doesn't keep his job. Maybe uh, the master's sort of impressed with what the manager has managed to do, that sort of, ah, oh, touche response. So that's the parable. Yet I don't know whether you're with me and you could go, oh yeah, I get what this is all about now. <laughs> Maybe you are. That's great if you are. I wasn't when I was looking at this passage. Um, we haven't really worked out yet what Jesus is saying and why he tells us this parable and what on earth it means. But thankfully we have Jesus' comments on the parable to have a look at. And so what I want to do in the, the second half of this is to suggest three brief ways to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. And I've got uh, three points that are sort of not this, but that type of points. Um, so the first thing I want to bring out is this. 
Live as people of light, not people of the dark. The second part of verse 8 is on the screen. It says this, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. When Jesus talks about people of the world here, he's talking about those who are yet to follow him. So we could say they are people of the dark. This story, the story that Jesus tells, is, is, a, is a parable of, of a person of darkness being shrewd. And Jesus is saying, here's how people who are not of the kingdom of God behave. They're shrewd. They know how to make their money work for them, and so on. He's saying there's something for those in the kingdom of God, those who follow Jesus, uh, to learn from this. The manager in this moment of crisis was forced to do something, to act shrewdly. So the point of this parable is not to cheat others out of money, uh, but acting shrewdly in how we use it and how we relate to others. Money is an instrument to help us as people of the light. And here it reminds us that money can help us invest in relationships in others. It's a reminder that there is a need to act wisely when it comes to our possessions, to our money. Jesus is saying, don't be dishonest. Be wise with your possessions. Invest in others. Invest in relationships. Live as people of the light. And as people of the light... You need to see that money and possessions are different for us. He's saying use money for spiritual purposes as wisely as those of the world use it for material reasons. That is how to live as people of the light. One writer says this, if we were shrewd like the manager in this parable, we would go out of our way to do as much as we possibly could for these people. Why? Because it pleases God. How might we use our money and our possessions for others to invest in others? There's a heavenly benefit, says Jesus, to how we use these things. And by acting as people of the light, by being shrewd in a kingdom-focused way, we are storing up riches in heaven So that's the first thing, live as people of the light, not people of the dark. Allow the kingdom of God to be your motivation. Secondly, use worldly riches, but aim for true riches. And we have two verses there, verse 9 and verse 11. Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly ways to gain wealth even, to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And then in verse 11, so if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will trust you with true riches? Interestingly, the word we have translated as worldly here um, is the same word we have translated as dishonest. I don't know about you, but I find that really interesting. Might just be me, obviously, but you know. The values of this world put money high up in importance, don't they? But Jesus is calling money dishonest here. He's bringing about kingdom values, which of course places other things as more important than money and possessions. But of course, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't use this. We just need to think about how and how we view uh, the worldly wealth that we might have. 
think of how we use our wealth in terms of storing up treasures in heaven, not clinging to earthly possessions. The kingdom of God reverses human values in terms of scale and importance. And Jesus is saying we need to see how we use worldly wealth in kingdom ways. So, for example, Jesus in this passage says, use it to gain friends. Now, that sounds really odd, doesn't it? I'm like, I'm not going to go out and buy a friend. That feels really, really odd. Jesus is saying, think about how we invest in relationships in others. And the language of friends at this time would have been about influence. It would have been about social structure. So what Jesus is saying is use worldly wealth, our possessions, in ways to invest in others. That might be giving to those in need. It might be supporting others. So, for example, in the summer, um, I had some friends staying with me, and um, uh, one of them was hoping to set up a new business, uh, but she needed a, a computer to do that. And I was sitting there thinking, I've got a laptop that I don't use. I don't, why have I got it? So I obviously wiped it first, <laughs> at both ways, clean and uh, got rid of the hard, you know, clean the hard drive, all of that. And um, I gave it to her. And now I was staying with them this weekend and she's now using it. And um, I was just sitting around in my house. Now I appreciate not everyone has a computer sitting around in their homes. But I bought that when I didn't really need it. So I should give it to someone else who does. True riches in this passage are real, genuine, authentic, true inside and out riches. Riches we find in the kingdom of God. They're genuine, they're true, authentic. They have a perspective of eternity and of the kingdom. They're riches that we cannot put an earthly value on. So actually, when we think about, um, not just about investing it's sort of materially, but there's something, isn't there, about investing our time with others as well. So, for example, this Friday, I happened to go up to a friend's party um, in Manchester, and I met up with people I hadn't seen for about 15 years. Um, none of us had changed, I have to say. Um, and it was just so beautiful to have that chance to spend time with those who I knew and loved when I lived there, and just feeling like we, we picked up where we left off. And I realize that I need to invest more in those relationships. That's a kingdom value, isn't it, about investing in others. And that can be in all sorts of different ways. So Jesus is saying how we use worldly or dishonest wealth makes a difference. Are we using it with a commitment to the present world? Or are we using it with a commitment to the kingdom of God? So that we're building up treasure in heaven. So that we see the true riches to come. Jesus says money will not last, but the kingdom of God will for eternity. And that should make a difference to how we view money, how we view our possessions. As part of this, Jesus talks about faithfulness. So in verses 10 to 12, he says these words, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handing worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? In other words, being faithful with a little is indicative of what we do with a lot. 
The manager wouldn't have found himself in this crisis if he'd been faithful from the start. His dishonesty led him to lose his job. Faithfulness and being trustworthy are surely the key to living as people of the light. Remember, of course, as it says in verse 12, that all that we have comes from God anyway. Jesus says if we have not been trustworthy in how we've handled worldly or dishonest wealth, then who will trust us with true riches? In other words, how we act now makes a difference. And when we look at it, it all comes down, doesn't it, to who or what we trust. It's not just Andy who likes to use Greek words, I just like to say. So I'm going to introduce you to a word um, that's in this passage, and it's the word that Jesus uses for money or wealth. You might have come across this word mammon. Um, this is the, the uh, version of the, the word in this passage, mammonas. See, I can pronounce Greek as well. And this word is actually an Aramaic word uh, related to the Hebrew word aman, which means to trust, and from where we get the word amen. It's a term for the treasure a person trusts. Isn't that interesting? Maybe there's a challenge there for us to think about who and what we trust in. Do we trust in God or do we trust in mammon? Do we trust in money and possessions. Sort of want to say that if, if anything, nothing else sticks with you this morning, it's an encouragement to really hold on to that. That sense that, it, that, that the word that Jesus uses here for wealth and money is about something you put your trust in, which is a dangerous place to find ourselves, isn't it? That leads me to my final point this morning. That is simply serve God not mammon or money. Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, when you think about it, you can serve two masters. I don't know about you, but I've had two jobs at the same time. But... Here, Jesus is referring much more to being a slave of something. That's the sense of what he's saying. And you can only be a slave of one thing. You can only be a slave of money or God. Money here is sort of personified um, as a spiritual competition to God. And how often can that be the case for us? I know it can be for me. I know I need to trust God and serve him, but money can be a draw. It's easy to be pulled into thinking that I can trust money because with it I can buy nice things. I can go to nice places and the more I have, the more I want. But Jesus is very clear in this passage that money and possessions will not last and like the kingdom of God. So here is a question. Who do you devote yourself to? God or possessions? Which is your master? Who do you put your trust in? Now, of course, I just want to say, this isn't about how much money we have, but how we view it and how we use it. Jesus goes on speaking uh, to the Pharisees who are listening in, as we said at the start, um, who, it says, loved 
money. And he says this, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. I don't know about you, when I read that, I was thinking, what is Jesus saying there? Well, loving money is, in a sense, worshipping a false god. It's idolatry. So when Jesus says what people value highly is detestable in God's sight, he's saying that when we worship things that are other than him, that's when he's not happy. When we place more value on something else other than him, it is, as he says, detestable to him. Now, I don't believe he's saying that God disapproves of, of the things that we might value, just that when we worship other things, has more important, of more value than God. And I'm sure we all need to be aware of that um, in our lives. The love of money, the love of possessions, can really get in the way of God's call on our lives. So what Jesus is ultimately reminding us here is that we need to be led by kingdom values. And that ultimately, this is a matter of the heart, of perspective, of who we worship. But I do want to finish by saying that it's always a challenge, isn't it, talking about money. Um, You know, it's still a taboo for lots of us. And especially at the moment when we are in such a a crisis of our own, of the cost of living. Interesting that it's a crisis, thinking of the fact that this is a crisis parable. And I'm really conscious that we will all be here with different experiences of money and possessions. Some of us will be doing well um, in the world's eyes with money. Some of us might be really struggling to meet, make ends meet. I don't know about anyone else, but I was really shocked when I re- my, it reinsured my car earlier this month. My goodness, that's gone up in price. That's just one example. Money can cause us so much stress, can't it? It can cause us worry. And please, if you are struggling, we do have a hardship fund and we can help. This isn't a passage about giving. It's a passage about how we view money, how we view possessions. I remember a few years ago when I was in a a meeting and they got us to do an exercise and they were talking about um, those who were coming into this country as refugees. And the exercise we had to do was to decide which three possessions we could take with us when we were evacuated from somewhere. And we were given a minute to think about those three things. What would I take? Think about that for a moment. What would you take with you? course every day there are people in that situation every day who have to flee their homes or as we've heard recently have had their homes destroyed by all sorts of things that's going on whether it might be a disaster whether it might be war just this weekend we've heard that and it's only when we see those who are living as people of the light that we see actually that the possessions don't mean that much. It's the people. It's being part of the kingdom of God that is the most important thing. And they teach us so much about what we need to value in our lives. Jesus speaks about a lot about money, and here he wants us to know that the kingdom of God has a different currency. It is led by kingdom values. 
And so as we finish, let's live as people of the light, not people of the dark. Let's use worldly riches, but aim for true riches, the riches of the kingdom of God. And let's aim to serve God, worship God, not money. Let's pray. Can I invite the band to come and join me again? Thanks. just want to encourage you uh, for a moment just to um, be thinking about those things that you might uh, take with you if you were given a minute's notice to uh, flee. Maybe thank God for the gifts that he has given to you that we do have riches in this world but we have so much to look forward to maybe for some of us this morning Jesus is reminding us trust me before the services we were praying as someone had a word which was Jesus answers the smallest prayer So whatever it is today that you need to uh, say to him, he's listening and he hears you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to put our trust in you. I pray for those of us who are uh, really struggling with uh, financial things. Lord, that we would see you you'd help us to put our trust in you Lord you are the one that we are here to worship and to serve not just in this building but as we go from this place as well so I ask that you would help us to do that in Jesus name Amen. We're going to uh, sing a song to finish with, and um, it's a song all about Jesus. Even when the music fades, uh, we can put our trust in him. So can I encourage you to stand if you're able as we uh, sing this final song?